This is The Fray Podcast, brought to you by thefray.com, a place for women who want more from life. Welcome to today's podcast. This episode is a conversation with Dr. Alex Korb. Dr. Alex and I are discussing depression and specifically we're talking about some of the ways that one might be able to help themselves out of a depressive state. Alex Korb holds a PhD. He is a neuroscientist, a writer and coach. He has studied the brain for over 20 years And he's the best-selling author of The Upward Spiral, using neuroscience to reverse the course of depression one small change at a time. So I read this book. I came across this book in my favorite bookshop and it just spoke to me so much because as soon as I picked this book up, I was just flicking through the pages and a lot of it just made sense to me in terms of I guess for me personally, the things that I refer to as being parts of my mental health toolkit, and that's why I liked this book, and I ended up listening to the audio version of it while I was out and about walking and things like that, and there were so many parts of the book that I found myself nodding along in agreement, and also parts of the book that kind of surprised me, and so I loved the book. I reached out to Alex. He was incredibly generous with his time and knowledge during our conversation and it was a real pleasure to speak with him. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I just want to let you know as well we do obviously hence because this is a podcast about depression. We talk about depression, we do talk about feeling dark, feeling low, having suicidal thoughts. So if this is triggering for you, it might not be the best episode for you. In saying that, I think that this episode will provide some helpful food for thought on the topic and the experience of being depressed or experiencing depression. If you do need any help or support, I have put some details in the show notes, some resources there that you can reach out to. As always, if you're struggling, it's a great idea to connect with your own healthcare professional and seek some personalized guidance and advice just for you. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Alex Korb. Dr. Alex, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me. I've been so looking forward to speaking with you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Now, depression is such a huge, huge topic, and I know that you're so well-versed in all areas of depression, but I think that a really good place to start would be with defining what depression actually is. Yeah. Uh, depression, you know, it is an overwhelming <laughs> topic, uh, partially because it is a complex one. And depression clinically is defined by a collection of symptoms that are very disparate uh, and sort of like a checklist. Like if you have five of these symptoms for more than two weeks, then you, you know, technically have depression. Uh, but you, you know, two people could both be diagnosed with depression and sort of look totally different because they have different collections of symptoms. Uh, but 
what those symptoms are, are um, feeling like low mood, depressed mood. That's the most obvious one. Uh, but sometimes people don't always feel, you know, sad all the time. Sometimes they have this like emptiness where emotions should be. Uh, but you can feel um, guilty or worthless. Uh, you can have trouble sleeping or sometimes sleeping too much. Uh, you um, often lose enjoyment of things like things that used to be fun just no longer are they've lost that spark uh and sometimes you know you have feelings that life just isn't worth living and you have problems with energy and everything just seems to require so much effort and yet it feels kind of pointless and these are just sort of uh um a handful of the symptoms mm -hmm. that make up depression uh, but when I describe, when I talk about depression, I think um, like one of the things that I think is important for people to understand that it's more than just feeling sad all the time, uh, you know, and it, and it expresses itself differently in different people. So sometimes people, they're just like really irritable and, or you're anxious all the time uh, and you don't realize like, oh, that might be depression. So it, it's very diverse it's different across different uh people uh, but also one of the most important things i think people should understand is that unless you are a, a doctor or a psychiatrist like stop putting too much emphasis on whether you technically you know meet the diagnosis for a major depressive disorder or not uh, it, it sort of comes down to a, um, a practical aspect of, do you feel down and stuck in a way that you don't know how to get out of, mm. then it doesn't matter whether you technically have depression or not. It's like helpful to go talk to a mental health professional and they, yes, might need to diagnose you, um, for billing purposes or for some treatment purposes. But in the brain, there's no like bright line <laughs> that mm. divides, oh, these people have depression. And, you know, if you have four of the symptoms, you know, then you don't have depression. You're totally fine. Uh, it's really, it's not um, a black or white issue. It's more of a continuum. And, uh, and it's helpful to, it's more helpful, I think, to think of it that way. Because even if you are seeking a diagnosis for depression, and I've certainly been through the process of going to my GP, going to my doctor and being handed the depression sort of checklist and you go mm -hmm. through and, you know, I've done it at different times in my life and I can remember thinking, well, it varies day to day. You know, today, <laughs> today I'm in the office and I'm fine because I've got, you know, something that I have to go and do after this. But if you, if I was answering these questions on the day that I made the appointment, it might be totally different. Yeah. So the, the diagnosis kind of component of being labeled with depression, I think it's kind of varied, isn't it? Because it's not as though there's a brain scan. It's not as though there's a blood test where they go, oh, yeah, right. you definitely have it. Yeah. And that's actually, I, that's why I went into neuroscience to get a PhD to, to basically uh, 
figure out if there was a brain scan or an EEG or lab test that you could do. Because I was like, there's got to be something that you can measure about the brain that will say, oh, you have depression or you don't. And it turns out, no, there isn't. <laughs> like, yeah. there's not a clear distinction between the brains of people with depression and the brains of people uh, without. And part of it is because, you know, a, uh, a brain scan would just be like a snapshot in time. But what depression actually is in the brain is like the dynamics of how it changes over time uh, or how you get stuck in certain patterns. And it could be different at different times of the day or different days of the week. It's, it's sort of like how, you know, measuring. Uh, I remember reading a book about like climate change and how like measuring sea level rise is like a, a really difficult thing because there's no such thing as sea level. Like, yeah, well, at high tide, it's, it's one thing. And at, right. And at low tide, it's another thing. And, you know, even at high tide, well, there's some of the wave and there's no wave. Like, so. Yeah, it's you know, much more abstract exactly, than you first think. Right. So you're trying to like capture it at just a snapshot. Uh, but you have to, you know, look at an average over time. And, and that's sort of like what mood is. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're generally feeling good all the time like maybe you don't have technically have depression but that doesn't mean you always need to be feeling stuck and terrible you know a part of the time just because it's not technically depression uh, I think for a lot of people it, it comes down to thinking about why you are seeking the diagnosis mm -hmm. because for some people it's uh, they're, they're trying to get a diagnosis so that they can then forgive themselves. Like, oh, to make I'm sense not a, of it. right. Like, oh, I'm not just a worth, worthless, lazy sack of, you know, crap. Like, oh, I have depression. Yeah. And like, guess what? You don't need to have a diagnosis in order to treat yourself with compassion. Because even if you don't technically meet that diagnosis, like it's still, you know, your brain circuits and your habits and the life you're living causing you to be stuck in this place. And the brain doesn't make that distinction between like, oh, whether you have depression or like whether you're just sort of like stuck and your habit of being too self-critical is part of the thing that's keeping you stuck. So if you and the same reason sometimes people look for a brain scan. They come to me like, oh, can't you just scan my brain and tell me if I'm depressed? And it's like, well, what if I showed you a brain scan and, and pointed to this region? Like, oh, yep, see, you're depressed. Like, what would that change? If it yeah. would make you then treat yourself with more compassion? Well, guess what? Like, you could just treat yourself with more compassion already. And for other people, uh, and this is this goes along with like genetic testing as well. For other people, they're sort of looking for it as a reason to kind of give up. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm depressed. Oh, like, or like, oh, it's 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 in my brain. I can't change my brain. Or like, oh, it's my genetics. See, I'm just depressed and I, I know it. I have the genes for depression. I can't do anything about it. And so they use that as a reason to give up. And like, that's not helpful. Yeah. And there is something very human, I think, about 
knowing something is off, but not necessarily wanting to take responsibility for that. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to point to something. And I have certainly experienced this at different times where I've been really fixated on something like, oh, I'm really like super bloated and I'm going to fixate on why I am like this. But fixating on it just makes it worse. Whereas if I just took the steps to kind of ease what's ailing me and that's what you would do anyway whether you had the diagnosis so it's so interesting yeah Uh, and I think some of us I learned from my dad who's like he's a a doctor and he's a regular internist but he doesn't like (laughs) I always joke that he like never treats people for things because there's like oh it'll be fine like and people like oh but my last doctor gave me antibiotics and you know my cold went away he's like well colds usually go away Anyway, like, uh, they're not usually fatal. Uh, and he's a um, hypochondriac's worst nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But probably what's actually most helpful for a hypochondriac, because, um, sometimes the issue is like, we're focused on like gaining information, getting a diagnosis so we can try and fix things. But the real issue is like, we're trying to control something that you don't have full control over or isn't fully understood. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of times when people get stuck, either when, you know, when they're fixated on something, it's that they aren't accepting that some aspect isn't fully under their control, or they're forgetting about the things that are under their control. And they're sort of like giving up and pretending like they aren't they they can't actually control them. And so people either like we swing back and forth between these two extremes some of times where we're like, well, either everything is under my control and I can be perfect and happy and the, you know, how way how much I want, have the energy I want, or I just have to give up and I have no control over anything. And the truth is that it's somewhere in the middle that you have control over some things and you don't have control over other things. And oftentimes you're making mistakes about which those things are. And that if you, and this is why I like talking about the brain, because the brain and the neuroscience sort of informs like, well, what are the things that are just an essential part of being human that you can't change? Like humans have stress and anxiety. And by the way, those aren't necessarily bad things. Anxiety keeps us safe. Worry keeps us from making, you know, bad choices. Stress is also a key part of excitement. Like if we didn't have these things, you like would be in more danger and you would um, be less happy and healthy. So a lot of these things that we think get in our way are actually a sort of essential functions. And sometimes when you when you understand the neuroscience, you see, oh, this is the purpose that they serve and they're actually really helpful. It helps you accept certain things about yourself that you can't change because, oh, it actually comes with a lot of benefits. Like I sometimes like to describe like a, you know, a sports car with a big engine, um, you know, it's guzzling a lot of gas. And you could think about like, oh, my Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. 
With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Car just like uses so much gas and it costs so much at the pump uh, or petrol for your listeners. <laughs> uh, the um, and like, yeah, that might be true. Like a car with a big engine is going to get bad gas mileage. But you know what? It's also really fun to drive. And like both of those things are true. Yeah, It's just that the more that you focus on the negative parts, the more dissatisfied and unhappy you're going to be. So you sometimes have to make a choice between like, well, yeah, that's true. But the only the only thing to do with that information is just to acknowledge it and then refocus on, you know, the positive parts of reality. Um, and your brain sometimes automatically does that for you. You can luck into certain situations where the environment or the people that you're around or the, you know, the goals that you're, you're pursuing at that moment in time just cause you to automatically focus on all of the positive. And that's great. And that's wonderful. But in the times where, you know, you lose your job or you just have a kid and you don't, you know, sleep at all, or your kid, you know, goes away to college or, you know, you're having a fight with your partner or you know something comes in to break uh that well then you can get stuck on this downward spiral where like you're feeling a little stuck and then you start focusing on the negative and you start focusing on the things that you can't control which makes you feel worse and causes you to focus more on the negative mm -hmm. and that's that downward spiral in some people can it's lead you to then get stuck in the pattern of depression it's almost like a little snowball, isn't it? Getting a bit of momentum with something might trigger you to feel poorly. And then as it's going downhill and it's picking up more evidence and more evidence and you're going down further into that spiral, the deeper you get. But at the beginning, the impetus for that little snowball that might start rolling, is depression more likely to be genetic or hereditary or a learned behavior or is mm -hmm. it more likely to perhaps begin with a life event that it would be perfectly proportional and perfectly mm -hmm. normal to have a sad response to but mm -hmm. perhaps you feel so sad and then you do go down that downward spiral and you just can't quite get yourself out and before you know it you really do feel like you're in this abyss of mm -hmm. hopelessness yeah. Like, does it matter where it starts? Does it matter if it's kind? I don't even know if it is genetic, but does yeah. it matter whether it's genetic or whether it's a life event? Right. So uh, I would say no, it doesn't matter. It's just like um, like a traffic jam. Like it doesn't matter if it was caused by a car accident or if it was caused by construction. Uh, like or it's just rush hour and there's too many cars on the road. Like the consequence is still the same. You're still stuck, you know, inching along the freeway. Although it's helpful to understand how each of these different things can contribute to you being stuck in a, in a traffic jam. Because when you're in a traffic jam, 
and you understand like, oh, well, it's probably caused by this or this, then like it doesn't suddenly make you, you know, be able to drive faster, but it at least helps you accept like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Mm. Uh, and that's the problem when people are depressed and they don't understand how genetics can contribute and how these life events can contribute. They're sort of stuck thinking like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, uh, what's happening and, and they almost gaslight themselves. Um, or if it is, they, they do attribute to something biological, like, um, you know, brain chemistry or genetics, then people make the mistake of taking usually one of two paths where like they then think that there's, that means there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. Like my brain is broken. Uh, I mean, I guess not one of two paths. They might do one and both. The other is, and therefore there's nothing I can do about it. That resignation to it's just the way I am. Right. And like the important thing to realize is that depression is based in the brain, but that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It's a problem with the, with the way the thinking and the feeling and the habit and reward circuits kind of communicating with each other and how the current circumstances of your life are sort of, you know, triggering certain things. So, uh, you like, let's say you might be an anxious person. There's not like, there's nothing inherently bad about being someone with higher level of anxiety that, as I said before, can really keep you, help keep you safe. It only becomes a problem if the environment that you're in is actually extremely safe, <laughs> then your anxiety is sort of unnecessary and getting in your way. But if you like lived in a much more dangerous environment, then that anxiety would be much more adaptive. And, you know, as people, we can uh, adapt and be flexible a little bit, but you can't completely change who you are. And uh, it's just like, you know, if you have that sports car with a big engine, it can be frustrating to be, you know, stuck in traffic, uh, but sort of helpful to realize like, oh, well, this is why it feels frustrating and like oh this if I was in this different situation then I would feel better and then sorting out okay well which part of my situation can I do something about and can I change and which part of the situation should I just ex accept and acknowledge like oh this is just oh this is just how it is because once you accept something then it stops bothering you uh and and that's really powerful. Yeah, I, a quote that I really love, and I'll probably butcher it a little bit, but it goes along <laughs> the lines of something about how, as people, the problems that we're focusing on aren't the problems. It's the mm -hmm. desire to be free of the problem mm -hmm. that is the problem. And yeah. I guess I kind of hear that a little bit when you're talking about how, as humans, we are by nature, we're going to feel anxious, we're going to feel sad when it's appropriate, we're going to feel threatened when it's appropriate, but it's important to be objective and go, okay, is my level of anxiety proportionate? You know, if you're a right. female walking alone on a city street, you might have a heightened sense of anxiety because yeah. we've been programmed yeah, to and that understand that we're weak. Yeah. Right. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. I think that's the, the issue is like people are like, why I'm feeling all this anxiety. There's something wrong with me. It's like, 
no. Like there might be something in some situations, there's something wrong with society that is like bombarded you with all these messages. But sometimes, no, you are correctly assessing that there is danger in the situation. Uh, and the appropriate response is that you should feel anxiety. The only uh, problem or the main problem then that people um, fall into is that they're like, they, you know, they tell themselves they shouldn't be feeling anxiety, in which case you're kind of like gaslighting yourself instead of just accepting that you are feeling anxiety and say, okay, this is, and then trying to understand either why you are feeling anxiety or looking forward and being like, okay, and then, so what am I going to do? Am I going to let that anxiety rule my life uh, or not? And I think sometimes people spend so much time trying to get rid of the anxiety instead of just sort of accepting the anxiety and focusing on what is most important to them. Uh, and, and that is how, like, you end up in a downward spiral when you focus on the anxiety and then you can't change the anxiety, which makes you more anxious because it's uncontrollable. And that's the downward spiral. And that's why I called my book the upward spiral mm -hmm. <laughs> because this, these are just the, the nature of the dynamics of how the brain works. Because when the habit circuit, you know, talks to the emotion circuit, talks to the thinking circuit, you know, you start worrying about something that triggers an anxiety that triggers a habit, which causes you to, you know, isolate yourself or whatever, which makes you focus on the negative and we all get stuck. But those same dynamics can work in the opposite direction. You can create an upward spiral. Sometimes it happens accidentally because, you know, your friend uh, from out of the blue calls you and you have a wonderful conversation and all of a sudden you feel good or like, oh, you get a promotion, you know, at work um, or your spouse says something nice to you, your kid makes you a gift, you know, or something. Sure. Those things do have impacts on your brain and they can change the dynamics of how these regions are creating. And all of a sudden, oh, now you're focused on the positive. Now you're taking positive action. Now you're creating more helpful goals. But a lot of the time we end up sitting around waiting for these things to just happen to us and spark an upward spiral. And when you have a brain that is, say, you know, stuck in depression or has uh, a greater tendency to get stuck in depression, then sitting around and waiting for it is part of the problem. And you should just start taking small steps to help things along. Things like, you know, managing your sleep or getting a little sunlight or physical activity or social interaction or even just taking a deep breath. Absolutely. And that's something that I so enjoyed about your book is it is, it's the practical neuroscience of how to reverse the course of depression. And you've touched mm -hmm. on a few things there. Sleep is massive. I mean, mm -hmm. I know when I had my twin boys and I presented at my GPs mm -hmm. and I went through my list of symptoms, he was very sure I was experiencing postnatal depression. And I was very sure I was just experiencing sleep um, deprivation <laughs> because I said to him, you know, when I look at the symptoms of sleep deprivation, they're in line with the symptoms yeah. of depression. You yeah. know, sleep is just so underrated. And I think it's one of those things that people tend to minimize because we know, 
Like we know it's good for us. And it's like, so then it kind of falls off the totem pole because you're like, oh, I know I should do that, but (laughs) I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really willing to look at my sleep hygiene habits, but Mm -hmm. how important is it? Like out of 10. Yeah. Sleep is one of the most important things. I don't know, an eight out of 10. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, it, it also depends like how extreme you're talking about. Because I think, you know, when you have a newborn, it's a 10 out of 10. Like, if you can sleep five hours instead of four hours, like, oh, my God, it's a miracle. Like, you feel like a new person. Four four hours was my number, Alex. I just remember thinking if I could have four hours in a 24-hour period, it didn't even have to to be together. But I was like, four hours, I felt like superwoman. You know, which is insane now because if I get less than seven, I'm like, oh, mommy's very tired. (laughs) I know. But part of it is also it's like it's contextual. And that's why it's interesting how these different circuits sort of interact. Like if your whole life was what it was, you know, in the first you know few weeks after having a baby, like, no, like you couldn't (laughs) survive that long for an extended period of time, but it's not. It's just a period of time that you know you will get through. And so you can read the baby books, you can talk to your doctor and they say, hey, look, you know, sleep is gonna consolidate. You're gonna start to be able to sleep for, you know, the baby's gonna sleep for three hours at a time. You're like, what? What's this magical place? And like knowing that it is what, you know, how, your baby is going to change over time doesn't magically give you more sleep now. But knowing that, oh, this is just a really difficult time that I have to go through. And why part of why it's difficult is because I can't sleep and that's making me stress out about it more. That Again, that doesn't suddenly magically give you more sleep, but at least you stop Gives you perspective. criticizing yourself. Right, and, and, you, and you stop wondering why do I feel so terrible like oh that's why I feel so terrible Mm. (laughs) and it's important to me even though I feel terrible to keep going because my child is the focus of my life right now and even if I don't get any sleep I'm still gonna change the diaper I'm still gonna feed them and I'm still gonna keep going and I know I can do that because it's really important to me and it makes it a little bit easier to know that, okay, this is just for, you know, a month and it's going to continue to get easier. And I think that's actually a really helpful sort of way for thinking about depression, which is, oh yeah, I'm going through a really challenging time right now. When you start, when you make the next illogical leap of saying, and this will be my life forever, well, then that's that's the unhelpful thought that keeps you stuck and down and and going further into that downward spiral. If you say, oh, and, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm stuck in depression and there's all these little things that I can do to create an upward spiral that'll help me get out of this. Then it increases your sense of uh, control. It helps you feel calmer. It helps you manage the situation Yeah, I think just the simple reframe there versus saying, 
I'm stuck in a black hole, I have depression, I am depressed versus kind of framing it as I'm going through depression because Mm -hmm. straight away you're then sort of giving yourself the mental image that you are moving through it rather than being Mm -hmm. stuck in it. And that's, again, your book is just full of information on how to actually kind of practically pull yourself through it. So sleep is a big one, but there are things in your book that I was like, yeah, of course, like that makes so much sense. And one of them was about making decisions, how -hmm. important it is to make a decision. And I was like, yes, it's so true. You just need to take, and it's so easy for me to say, you just need to when I'm not, when I'm not feeling depressed at the moment, but I have been depressed in the past and I do know that overwhelming hopelessness. And by the way, even that language of like, oh, I just need to do this. I always like to catch myself and I remind other people, like, you don't need to do anything. Yeah. Like. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why do you feel like you need to do this? Like, oh, I, I need to, you know, um, uh, get more sleep or I need to, you know, read more books to my child or whatever. Like, well, no, you don't need to do that. What is the reason? What is the thing that's important to you? So it's that you feel like you need to do that. And it's like, well, I want my, um, you know, I want to feel better. Or like, oh, I want my baby to, you know, learn to read faster because I want them to be successful in life or whatever. Like making sort of explicit why you feel that thing is important helps you sometimes put it into perspective because you realize like, oh, I don't need to do this. I want to do it because it's important to me. Yeah, it's and such a simple but powerful it, rephrase. Yeah, in one in one way, you are f- placing all of the control externally, and that activates your brain's stress response and makes you more stressed. In the other, you place the um, importance inside of you of like, oh, I am choosing this, and the the real challenge is often the things that you quote unquote have to do or need to do. And the things that you want to do are really the same thing. <laughs> it's just the more that you focus on the, the part that you don't have control over, the more stressed out and unhappy you are. And the more that you focus on it as a choice of moving towards something that's important to you, the more you feel in control of your life. And, and I remember like the first sort of moment I had that, like as a father, when my, when my daughter was born, uh, like, you know, waking up every few hours to like change her diaper. And, you know, I changed her diaper at 11. My wife and I had this agreement that she was in charge of uh, input, feeding the baby, and therefore I would be in charge of output. Uh, and I, you know, I changed the baby at 11 and then I changed her at, you know, 1230. And then like finally fell asleep and then she woke up again at 2 a.m. And I was like laying there hearing her cry. And I was like, I don't want to change it change her diaper again. It's like, I'm so frustrated and angry at the situation. And then I sort of realized like, well, why did I make this agreement? Oh, I made this agreement because I want to support my wife because like, she is the only one who can feed 
our child. And I'm, it, I'm uncomfortable because I can't feed their child. And I, okay, that's just something I need to accept. That is my uh, biology. And what can I do? Oh, I can help in this way. And why do I want to do that? Well, I could let my baby sleep in, you know, a dirty diaper overnight. I could do that. I could make that choice. But I don't want to make that choice because I want to be a good father. I want my baby to be happy and healthy. So even though it is difficult, even though I don't want to get out of bed, even though I'm so tired, I am choosing to do this because this is what is important to me. And my choice is guided by not my moment-to-moment -moment feelings. My choice is guided by my values. And when you can have your your values sort of in line with your actions, or at least help you guide yourself, then you stop going on this roller coaster of like, well, I hope I feel like getting out of bed because then I'll be really productive. Or I hope I feel like writing or I hope I feel like doing this because then I'll do it. And then all of your, when all of your actions are guided by your moment to moment feelings, then you're sort of setting yourself up that like, yeah, sometimes you'll get lucky and be in an upward spiral. And sometimes you'll get lucky and then be in a downward spiral and then you'll just be stuck. But you don't have to leave it up to luck if you can uh, make a commitment towards those things that are important to you and just make those little tweaks. Mm. And what what about if someone is really, really low and they like despite knowing that they could focus on their values, but they're really, really struggling to connect with mm -hmm. a why or a greater sense of yeah. purpose, or they're just overwhelmingly, whether they're having suicidal thoughts or they're just so dark and so low, mm -hmm. where to, like, where is the best yeah. place for them to start? Well, so um, one of the things that I, when I talk about the values, like it's really important at some point to clarify your values, because that sort of helps you maintain direction and have stability in your life. But, you know, when you're feeling really depressed, <laughs> the thought of like trying to clarify those values might be totally overwhelming or, um, you know, counterproductive because you're like, I just need to find my reason and then I could do something. And so I always like to frame it in terms of like, okay, if, if taking a moment to think about your values and what's really important to you yields an insight and you're like oh well that's what's really important to me that's the direction i should move in then great then take a moment to think about it but if taking a moment to think about it or you know a day to think about it doesn't yield any information then you just have to take action even though you don't know the correct direction it's sort of like being you know if you're being lost in the in the wilderness like okay if you just Stop stressing out for a second. Just think and try to remember where the trail was, where the city was. Oh, and then you figure out the direction. Great. That's very helpful. Like figure out the direction you should go. If and But if you can't figure it out, you can't remember, and then sitting there and just thinking more isn't going to suddenly magically give you the answer. You actually have to go somewhere and you just have to pick what you think is the best direction. And guess what? You might not be right. You might start walking in direction and then realize, oh, this is the wrong direction, and then go back a different way. But you couldn't have come to that realization until you started going in that direction, and that's what helped you give the insight. And that's like doing an experiment on yourself. Uh, and in in the 
um, in depression, the types of experiments are you can do on yourself are like little life changes. Things like, well, maybe if you tried going, you know, to bed, you know, just an hour earlier, or maybe if you tried getting a little bit more sunlight, or you got a little bit more exercise that day, or you called up a supportive friend. Uh, I can't guarantee you that any one of those things is going to solve all of your problems, but I can pretty much guarantee you that doing none of them uh, means that you will continue to be stuck. Uh, and just like when you're stuck in the wilderness, the one thing you know for certain is that if you sit there and do nothing, nothing is going it's to happened. change. And so you just have to pick something and start doing it. And even if it's just 10% in the right direction, well, okay, then you can adjust mm -hmm. uh, and focus on, oh, I'm, you know, uh, you know, your brain might automatically focus on this is 90% in the wrong direction, but you can remind yourself like, yep, and it's still 10% in the right direction. And now I'm going to adjust. Or even if you're 100% in the wrong direction, you can say, oh, well, I'm glad I went that way because now I know that is not the way to go. So now when I go the other direction, I can do it with a greater sense of commitment. Yes. Uh, and, and so I, if you, the, just to sum it up very briefly, like if, if you can figure out the right direction, go for it. And if you can't figure out the right direction, then just start doing stuff that we know tends to help with depression. Uh, and that's, you know, breathing, uh, doing activities that are fun, or at least used to be fun, uh, getting control of your sleep, uh, practicing gratitude, you know, getting some exercise, getting some sunlight, uh, getting a massage, uh, at least start with the things that are easiest and anything that is a tiny bit better than your default of like lying in bed all day, you know, wondering what's wrong with you. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that analogy and I tend to think of it kind of as the lowest hanging fruit, you know, mm -hmm. go, go for what's closest, step outside of what you're doing now. And I know for myself, when I have had really hard times with my mental health, for me, making a commitment to just try things, mm -hmm. even the things that I'm trying, as you said, if they're not quote unquote right for me at that moment, it has actually given me so much more agency. And then yeah. that agency, what that has done for me has provided evidence. It's provided proof mm -hmm. that I don't have to outsource or I don't have to yeah. kind of throw my hands up in resignation of this is my lot in life. Right. And so it's so not about the destination of the of the way that you're moving. It's just the momentum. Yeah. And like there's a great study uh, I think I talk about it in, in the upward spiral, uh, about, um, or maybe I just teach it in my class at UCLA, but the, uh, there's a, um, there's a study on like career anxiety and where they're, they're talking to people who have career anxiety and they're not sure, you know, what job they should do, what path they should take. And the intervention is very simple. You just have people spend like pick one possible job that they think they might want to do and they just spend 10 minutes researching it on the internet and just by making that one tiny decision 
Like it doesn't have to be the best decision. This is why people get stuck because they're trying to, of all the things in the world, they're trying to make perfect the best decision. Yeah. decision. And if if it's not the perfect decision, then be so mad at yourself, you know, so mad at myself. Well, just make any good decision that is better than your default of just sitting there, you know, stewing over anxiety. So just pick anything, look into it for 10 minutes. And what will happen is you've taken action and you've started moving in a direction. And even if it's like, basically only one of two things can happen there. Either you will start to like it more, <laughs> the more that you read about it, like, oh, maybe I'd want to be a lawyer. Okay, well, let me read about being a lawyer. Well, after 10 minutes, you'll either like it more or you'll like it less. And either way, you've gained information. And this is exactly how scientists learn stuff and do experiments. Uh, obviously, we all want to like pick the perfect thing so that all our choices is perfect and everything works out perfectly. But the truth is you only learn something when it's not quite what you expected. And, uh, and that is where how you start to move forward. Because part of the reason that you're stuck in depression is because the things that you think you can control uh, and the things you think you can't control or the things you think are important or the things you think that aren't important, you're like, you're not actually quite correct. You're making it, you're making an incorrect assumption somewhere. And it is only like, you know, through taking action that you start to realize, you know, how you're, you're making yourself stuck. Like some people might think, oh, you know, all I need to do is have kids and then I'll be happy. Or like some people think like, oh, I just need to make a certain amount of money and then I'll be happy. And like, when you do that, the problem that people do is they think in terms of black or white, like, well, that didn't solve everything. So it's totally wrong. Mm -hmm. And the truth is like, well, what part of it was right? And what part of it was wrong? Like, oh, yes, kids are really meaningful to me. And yet <laughs> there are other things that are also important for my happiness. So like, I'm glad I had kids. I just also need to make sure to make time, you know, for my friends or for my career. Uh, and just like it, that is, I think, just like a scientific study where like you do one little thing and you're like, oh, I didn't solve cancer. Like I failed totally. Well, okay, well, did you like gain a little bit more information? Do you help at least one little part of the puzzle? Okay, well, then you're moving in the right direction and then do another experiment and keep moving forward instead of falling back into wherever your habits are pushing you. Yeah. And I really like the way that you've explained kind of the notion of experimenting on yourself mm -hmm. because that's the only way you're going to gain feedback. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I like I, 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 this, when I, you know, when I wrote the upward spiral after I wrote the upward spiral, like a lot of people like wanted me, like, can you just make a short, you know, cheat sheet? Like, just tell me what to do. Like, give me the recipe. And I can't because every, there are some things that make us all sort of universally human. We all have the same brain circuits. They're all wired together in the same way, whether you have depression or not, whether you have anxiety or not. But also we're all different in that the specific tuning of each of those circuits is different from person to person. Some people worry more, some people worry less. Some people are, you know, um, uh, more decisive. Some people are less decisive. And 
there's nothing inherently better or worse about any one of those things. It's just uh, those specific set of brain circuits combined with the life that you're living might mean that your brain gets stuck in certain patterns. And because, you know, our biology is all slightly different and our circumstances are all slightly different, there is no one answer that's going to solve the problem for everyone. So that you could think is like, oh, that's really depressing. But the good news is that there are dozens of solutions. And that's what I call like the upward spiral of like all these little things that you can do. And I can't guarantee you that any one of them is going to solve everything. But these are the things that science has found over the years tend to help the brain work better and tend to help with depression. And uh, for you specifically, you know, maybe exercise is going to be way more helpful than it is for other people. Or maybe it's just like a little bit helpful, uh, but that's still better than doing nothing. Mm. Uh, and I think instead of trying to find the one trick that's going to solve everything, just start making these little tiny changes here or there that are better than the default. And those little changes start to actually change your brain activity and chemistry for the better, such that more changes become easier. And that is the essence of the upward spiral, that you just make this little change and it changes your brain and it makes it easier to make the next change and create a new path. Yeah, it's gaining momentum in one direction or another. Mm -hmm. When it comes to therapy and medication, do you mm -hmm. think that it's worth people exploring medication and therapy early on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the, it's funny, sometimes when people read the book, they, they say like, oh, I'm so glad you're so against medication because, you know, 90% of the book is about here are the things you can do. Oh, I, di I didn't take it all that you were against medication. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, like, but some people do. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I have a whole chapter on medication. But I think we should neither have a stigma against medication nor like this default affinity for it. Um, I think a lot of psychiatrists, because, you know, they're only given 15 minutes to see someone uh, and because patients often want the simplest answer. Well, yeah, we overprescribe medication. We sort of treat that as the default answer. Um, that doesn't mean, as some people think, that you should never take medication or that if you take medication, it, it means there's something wrong with you. Um, medication is just one way to change, say, the serotonin circuits in your brain. And for some people, it is the answer. It can like, be a tool in the toolkit. Well, no, no, I'm not just a tool. Like for some people... Like 40% of people who have depression, you just take a pill a day and, you know, a few weeks or months later, like your depression is gone. Is that you right? Don't need is to... 40%. Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say, wow, <laughs> because many people are frustrated that it's only 40%. Oh, see, I guess because I've always thought of it as part of, you know, right. part of a treatment to me, yeah. it's never, and it's obviously just a personal 
um, belief system or a personal attachment to it. But yeah, I've always thought of, and it's, yeah, I'm not obviously not a doctor as part of treatment. And, you know, for me, medication is part of it or exercise and connection with friends, all of that to me. Right. Well, but that's probably why you were drawn to the upward spiral, uh, because it, you know, agrees because I agree with that. But like, when you say a tool in the toolkit, sometimes there is one correct tool. <laughs> like you're trying to build something or a screw and you're like, oh, I found the right screwdriver. Well then, yeah, you should use that screwdriver. Yeah. The problem with medication is that um, you can't know ahead of time which that 40% is going to be. So about, you know, 40% of people will sort of be completely better. And, you know, 30% of people will be, uh, you know, mostly or somewhat better improvement. And, you know, 30% of people aren't going to be helped much at all. And they're just going to have side effects. So medication is not a bad first choice. Like again, we, people should stop trying to make the best first choice. Just make uh, a choice. <laughs> it's just make a choice. It's just that uh, if medication doesn't solve all of your problems, that's fine. There's a whole menu of other things to choose from. Or if you're, you know, overly concerned about medication because of side effects or, you know, you've had bad experiences in the past, well, that's fine. You can choose one of these other things. But uh, I, I sort of think of the, the upward spirals that, you know, the other life changes you can make as like, well, while you're waiting to think about whether you should start taking medication, you might as well start doing all these other things. Or like, once you make the appointment to see the doctor and you're waiting for the appointment, well, you might as well start changing your sleep and changing your exercise. Or like, once you start taking medication, don't just like sit there and sort of hope that it works. Like, help it along. <laughs> like, mm. go start seeing people. Go start doing things that you used to enjoy. And that's terrible advice if you are a scientist trying to understand the mechanism of why something works because you want to take one thing and isolate it and control everything else. If you are a person who is trying to feel happier, it doesn't matter like why you feel better. Like if you're like, no, 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 I can't make these other changes because then I won't know, is it the medication or not? Like, why does that matter? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, well, because then I won't know if I can come off the medication or whatever. Like, well, you can you can make another choice later in You can cross that bridge, life. yeah. Like, just, like, if you know how to get out of depression without taking medication, then do it. <laughs> and, like, if you don't know, then start experimenting. And if you've tried all these other experiments and you haven't come up with one, then medication is a great answer. But also medication is a great place to start. And at some point later, you might decide, oh, I don't really like the side effects. Okay, well, I'm going to do some of these things. But you can make a choice uh, and making a choice and having you know an outcome and then dealing with that outcome and then making another choice. That's called living your life as opposed to sitting there stuck, paralyzed about making the wrong choice. 
Yeah, so much of your book, and it is it's such a brilliant book that I really recommend everyone reads. So much of your book is around that self-agency and building belief that you can gain some momentum. One last question, what would you recommend someone does if their partner is struggling with depression? Because I imagine over the years you've spoken with countless people mm-hmm. who have struggled with depression Are there any sort of key things, key takeaways that people have said to you, you know what, this really helped or you know what, this didn't help? (laughs) Well, the, uh, I mean, it's not just partners, lots of times children. A lot of people contact me because, you know, they're adult children. My, you know, kid just, she's brilliant. She just graduated college, but she's, you know, struggling and stuck. Like, what can I do? And you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier in the conversation is the more that you focus on things that you can't control, the more stressed out you feel. And even though it might be very important to you to help your child be happy, one of the first things is to realize that you don't have full control over that. And that's scary, but it's true. And because even if it if you were them, like, and they don't have full control over themselves and their emotions either, um, but, the more that you uh, don't accept that or refuse to accept that, then you're just going to be tense and anxious and it's going to be harder for you to help them because uh, in some sense, you're going to be trying to fix your own anxiety about them. Like they need to be happy so that you can feel better about yourself. And uh, that's not usually a good way to help someone. Uh, and so you need to accept your own anxiety about your lack of control. And that puts you in a much better position to help them. It's also about acknowledging your own other struggles that you have and start taking active steps to do them. Like it's much easier and often hypocritical to just tell other people what they should do. Like, hey, you know what you should do? You should manage your sleep better and you should... Uh, you know, go for an exercise. But why don't you do that? Oh, oh, well, no, I don't have a problem. You're the one with a problem. Like, uh, so start um, modeling these things in yourself. Uh, and, uh, And then also remember that while you might be frustrated and not being able to help them, they are much more frustrated about not being able to help themselves. Uh, and so the best thing you can do as a partner is not try to fix them, uh, but just, you know, be supportive of them. And it's not about like, hey, it seems like you should do this. Like ask them what, how they feel about it and do they uh, um, want help? Um, so that's one strategy. The other strategy is just to like, like, not even sort of address the depression at all, like just schedule things that you think they would like, like just like, oh, hey, you know, we're going out to eat or whatever. You don't need to frame it in terms of like, oh, because you're depressed and I think you would like it. Like just, you know, invite their friends over, like plan more things that you would like, but don't have specific expectations about how it will work out it's like if you give someone a gift and they don't you know they aren't as excited to receive it 
as you want. Like I bought you this, you know, uh, new TV and like you didn't, you weren't as excited, but you can't get angry at someone for their emotions. And like, were you giving it to them because you wanted to feel good or were you giving it to them because you wanted them to feel good? And I think a lot of times when people are trying to help someone else with depression, we get stuck in like, oh, I want to do this thing to make them, to fix them, to change them. Save the day. And then, yeah, to save the day. And then I get frustrated and angry. And that contributes to the problem. Because you know what? They don't want to disappoint you. And so if they sense, and people are very sense perceptive about this, the kids are very perceptive about this, that uh, if they sense that the reason that you are doing this is because you're hoping that it's going to help them, and then they don't want to disappoint you, but they don't know how to make you happy because they don't know how to make themselves happy, then that's part of why it's going to feel Adds stuck. another layer, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, so the, the, the general gist is like, you know, accept your own feelings of helplessness about this. Start modeling the behaviors uh, that you think you can do. Um, just be there as a compassionate, supportive partner. And just try to make it easier for them to, you know, make more positive changes in their life, uh, but not expecting that they do it or not being disappointed if uh, they don't do it or having specific expectations about how it will go. Yeah, I think that's really, really helpful advice, Alex. Now, your website, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. Um, well, if they can remember my name, my name, Alex Corb, PhD, um, that's uh, Corb with a B and PhD with a PhD. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, my website is alexcorbphd.com. Uh, people can sign up for my uh, mailing list there or uh, learn more about the Upward Spiral or the, the courses uh, that I have to offer. And on any of your favorite social media platforms, maybe not all of your social favorite social media platforms, but Alex Corb PhD on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter, uh, if you'd like to follow and learn more. Brilliant. I will put all of those details in the show notes, and I definitely recommend everyone grabs a copy of The Upward Spiral and also jumps over to alexcorbphd.com. Sign up for your newsletter because I know that you're super passionate about helping people and giving them information that is evidence-based, but also practical. Yes. And thank you. And I appreciate your appreciation of that. Cause like, that's always been my, like, I want to be driven by science, but I don't, the science is sometimes too analytical and I want it to like, okay, but how do I take that information and put it in to practice? And that's what I loved about your book because it's evidence-based, but it is succinct and it's distilled and I finished reading the book knowing, okay, yes, these are the things. I'm on the path. These are the right things for me. So great work and thank you for your time today. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks for talking. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free.